Our God is good. He's a good, good father. And all things work together for good for those who love God. And the way you keep moving on when the answer is, I've got something better, is you believe God is good. Does God still perform miracles? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. On our last broadcast, David took us to the Gospel of Luke where Jesus performed a miracle on a man who couldn't walk. Of course, that program can be found on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. But today, David concludes his message, Miracles by Faith. If you're going to reach other people, with the miracle of their lives being rebirthed in Jesus, you have to have an intense affection for them. You've got to desire to bring them to Jesus. What's so interesting is these four folks had an intense affection for the paralytic. We're not sure if they were related. We don't know if they were just friends, but there was an intense affection. Think about this. They weren't carrying around that guy on a cot. They didn't have cots in that day. It was a bed. Maybe think in terms of a mattress. And four people on each corner of the mattress were carrying this paralytic into a room that was intensely crowded with a mixed multitude of religious leaders. There were people standing outside trying to get in. And when they brought the guy to Jesus, they couldn't get to him initially. So what'd they do? They found a back stairway and went on top of the house and they began taking the tiles off the roof. Now, the first thought that comes to me is, what did the owner of the house think? You with me? I mean, all of a sudden, tiles start dropping from the roof, and he's looking up going, what's going on up there? And if you're going to drop a mattress down at the feet of Jesus, you're not making a small hole. And if I'm the owner of the house, I'm thinking, who's going to pay for this? Maybe he asked Jesus to do a miracle on that one as well. But this huge hole opens up, and the guys drop this paralytic friend, family member to the feet of Jesus. Why? Because they really loved him. You need to know also that if you truly want to see the miraculous, you not only need to love the person for whom you want to see the miraculous, you need to love Jesus passionately. You've got to do whatever it takes to get close to him. If there's anything keeping you from getting intimate with him, you've got to remove it. If it's at first the crowds, you've got to find a way around the crowds. If it's the back stairway being blocked, you've got to find a way around the back stairway. You've just got to get to whatever place you can be in order to come to his presence and experience his grace. This deep affection for somebody through prayer is a powerful means by which miracles happen. One I think of that happened to me at a point in my life was some years ago, there was a girl who Marilyn and I just really loved. She was a dear, dear friend. And she contracted spinal meningitis. She went into the intensive care unit, was connected to all the tubes and the wires. She was not in good shape. The doctors had little to no hope for her life continuing. And that word came to us and lasted for several days. I was away on a trip, and I, on the flight back, was praying for her. And during that time, I was overcome with intense affection for her as my sister in Christ. And the Lord spoke to my heart. Have any of you had the Lord ever speak to your heart? If not, you need to connect better to him because John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice. 
He wants to speak to you. So in prayer, with affection for my sister, I said, Lord, how do I pray? And he said, here's what I want you to do. When the plane lands, get off the plane, go to the hospital, enter the intensive care unit, go next to her ear and whisper to her, the devil can't have you. You will live. And I went, say what? (laughs) And I heard it again. I called Marilyn on the payphone. I said, look, this is what just happened. It's 1030 at night. I'm going to drive to the hospital and pray for her. I'll be home at some point later on, not sure when. She said, look, if the Lord spoke to you, that's what you need to do. So I went to the hospital, walked to the intensive care unit, dark as you can imagine. There are just a couple of nurses on call. I went to one of them and said, I'm her pastor. I'm going to go pray for her if you don't mind. She said, look, we appreciate prayer here. We need everything we can possibly have. So I walked into the intensive care unit. There she is again, just connected to all of the tubes and the wires and the beep, 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 beep. She's in bad shape. Her complexion is ashen, and you really do have that feel of death. So I went, okay, Lord, all I know is this is what you told me to do. I went up and whispered in her ear, friend, the devil can't have you. You're going to live. You will awaken soon. I pray this in the name of Jesus. And then I got up, and first of all, I thank God that no nurses had heard me do this, thinking I was probably crazy. But then I blessed her and walked out and said to the nurse, I'm leaving now. She said, thank you for coming by. And and I went away and went home. The next morning, somebody called and said, is David there? And and they said, they're looking for you. And I went over to the phone, and they said, you're you're not going to believe this, but so-and-so just woke up. Her complexion has turned rosy red. She's breathing on her own without the tracheal tube. She's well. it's, It's nothing short of a miracle. And Jesus gives that gift of miracles and faith and healing to his church. I don't have any special connection to God, folks, that you don't have. I'm not any more powerful than you are. I am a man with a broken nature like you are. And yet, through faith in the righteousness of Jesus, he can use all of us in powerful, significant ways even to bring the miraculous about. But notice the importance of the deep affection for the person. When God's going to bring somebody to faith through you or use you to heal somebody, there's usually a deep affection for that person. Now, interestingly, as this paralytic was lowered to the feet of Jesus, the first thing Jesus did with him was forgive him of his sins. Now, now for me, when I first read the story, I went, how insensitive. The guy's a paralytic. He needs to walk. But Jesus first forgave him of his sins. And of course, again, the religious leaders thought that was blasphemy because only God can forgive sins. And Jesus was said, exactly. By the way, for those of you who are on a spiritual pilgrimage right now and you don't believe in Jesus and you think he's just a mere, mortal, good, kind teacher, you can't believe that. Why? Because Jesus didn't say that about himself. He claimed that he was God. And if you continue to cling unto death that Jesus was just a good man, you're going to spend eternity separated from him. 
The way you spend eternity with him is to believe he's God in human flesh who died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's why Jesus first forgave his sins because he knew that was the man's greatest need. Then he asked the question, which is easier, to forgive somebody's sins or to say, take up your pallet and walk? Now, let me ask you, which one's easier? What's easier is to just say, take up your pallet and walk. If you're God in human flesh and you have all authority over the universe, which Jesus had, just say walk and you're going to walk. But if you say, I forgive you, that demands a cross. That demands you go and suffer an horrific death on a cross, taking the wrath of God upon yourself so we don't get it. In love, in grace. Now, now you ask the question, but the cross hadn't happened yet. How could he forgive sins? The cross had happened in eternity. God's not limited by space or time. The cross in God's mind happened the moment of creation. He knew the fall was going to occur. So Jesus could forgive because he knew the cross had already happened in God's mind. And it's easier just to say, get up and walk, than it is to forgive sins because the forgiveness of sins demands the cross. Now, another insight here, and I think the deep affection these guys must have had for their friend could have been related to the fact they concluded that his paralysis was not just physical in nature. Maybe they knew something else was going on that was causing the paralysis. And I wonder if Jesus didn't look inside his heart and realize there was a psychosomatic problem with this guy. Psychosomatic. You ever thought about that word? Comes from the two Greek words, suke, psycho, which means soul. Your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, who you really are. And somatic comes from the Greek word soma, which means body. A psychosomatic illness is something that's happening in your soul that's affecting your body. Did Jesus look inside this guy and see something happening in his mind, will, and emotions that was affecting his paralysis? Now, every medical expert will tell you that if you have damaged negative emotions flowing through your system, it's going to affect your body. If you have rampant guilt and shame in your heart, it's going to eventually affect your body. Every good scientist knows that depression is related to some kind of toxic emotion that you're dropping into your system. Bitterness, anger, resentment, unforgiveness. If you've had somebody hurt you and you've not resolved those issues, you're continually doing a toxicity dump in your soul and in your body and those emotions, folks, have got to go somewhere to your heart, to your lungs, or to your joints. A lot of studies are suggesting that arthritic conditions, in some cases, are directly related to unforgiveness. So did Jesus look inside this guy's heart and maybe see his joints were being besieged by his unforgiveness? And he knew the only way he could ultimately stand up and walk was to be forgiven by God. Because here's what happened. When you know the great forgiveness of Jesus on the cross, then you're able to forgive other people. When you know that God has forgiven you a billion-dollar debt, you can forgive other people their $10 debt they owe you. And, and there are three lessons I've learned in forgiveness I'd love to share with you real quickly. Do you mind? Okay, this is personal. This is what I've learned. Maybe it'll help you. First of all, forgiveness is giving up your right for the other person to suffer like he's made you suffer. 
It's giving up your right that that person experienced the pain you've experienced. So for all of us, who's been hurt by somebody? The rest of you raise your hands, liar, liar, pants on fire. Um, We all have been hurt by somebody. When you've been hurt by somebody, you say, I give up my right for that person to suffer. I refuse to retaliate. Secondly, you give them to God. Romans 12, 19, don't return evil with evil, but return evil with good and leave vengeance to God. May I tell you this? I've learned this through the years. God does vengeance better than we do, right? God does justice better than we do, right? Because we want the other person to be destroyed. God wants to somehow be merciful and bring them to faith in him. That's his greatest desire. Thirdly, we need to understand the sufferings of Jesus. You know, Philippians 3, 10, and 11 says that we are filled with the resurrection power of Jesus. I love that. Well, I love being filled with the resurrection power of Jesus. Then it also says I'm supposed to share in his sufferings. I don't like sharing in his sufferings. What does that mean? That means that sometimes I have to absorb the pain from somebody else's bad behavior. That's what Jesus did on the cross, isn't it? He absorbed the pain of our bad behavior to give us the gift of life. And if I'm sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, sometimes I've got to do that. And I may not see justice on this side of eternity. And you know what? That's okay. And then I'm free. I'm free, right? My emotions are free from the forgiveness of Jesus that I've given to other people. And I wonder if Jesus didn't see that in this guy and said, you're forgiven. And then he said, take up your pallet and walk. And his psychosomatic illness was healed. All rooted in great affection that these friends had for him and that they had for Jesus as well. Thirdly, a plan. Always realize that when you're seeking the miraculous, especially in the life of another, there needs to be a plan. As you pray, ask God for a plan. You know, sometimes we make spiritual life so complicated. I love this phrase from the Revolutionary War. It said, trust God but keep the gunpowder dry. (laughs) Or Augustine said it this way, pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on you. There's a balance between medicine and faith. So seek a plan. Trust God, but try to work it out in the ways that he is directing you. And if you run into a door, find a roof. Fourth, get others involved. Especially as you're praying for friends you want to come to know Jesus. Remember, there are four who helped this one guy get well. You need people to help you in prayer, to pray for the person you want to come to faith, but also just to help you experience the miraculous. May I say this to you? If you've got a bunch of negative Nelly friends who are telling you it won't happen, don't believe in God, miracles don't occur, get rid of your friends. Find new friends. Surround yourself with people who believe in the miraculous, who believe that God still does miracles today because they can affect your faith. Which leads to my last point. Make sure you have a dogged, persistent faith. These four guys wouldn't give up until they dropped their friend at the feet of Jesus. Don't give up. Don't give up. We, we love the stories of persistence in the natural world, don't we? I mean, Winston Churchill, one of my favorite leaders, graduated in the bottom third of his high school class, became the one who saved England from Nazism. He was later invited to come back to the very school that said, you'll never amount to anything. And here was his speech that he gave. Don't give up. Never give up. Don't ever give up. And he sat down. And the place broke out into uproarious applause. And that illustration has been told multiple times because people love to hear the need not to give up. 
If it's true in the natural world, it's even truer in the spiritual world. So don't give up. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep going to Jesus. And too many of you pray and then attach, if it be your will, and never persist. You're not dogged in your faith. And why does God want to be us to be dogged in our faith? I just have one belief. Because I think God's creating an eternal person in all of us. We're going to spend a whole lot more time there than here. Got it? And he wants to develop eternal characteristics in us. And one of the ways he does that is when we don't get what we want when we want it. And he puts us in the weight room. You know, in the W-E-I-G-H-T room, we lift weights to make our muscles stronger. The resistance causes us to get stronger, get buffed. Well, God puts us in the W-A-I-T room to build our spiritual muscles, to make us stronger in the resistance when it doesn't happen immediately. That's because he's building a spiritual character that's so important to him. So when you pray and you don't get the answer immediately, don't give up. God answers prayer three ways. When we pray, he says, first of all, yes, and the answer comes immediately. Don't you love it when that happens? I know I do. The second way he answers is no, not yet. And that forces us to wait. But then thirdly, he doesn't say no. God never says no to our prayers. What God says is, I've got something better. It may not seem like better at the time, but it's better because our God is good. He's a good, good father. And all things work together for good for those who love God. And the way you keep moving on when the answer is, I've got something better, is you believe God is good. And his faith that he gives you as a gift will continue to allow you to move forward until you finally see, oh, now I know. Now, maybe on the other side of eternity that he shows you what he was doing, that's okay. That's why the most often spoken word in heaven is going to be what? Oh, 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 oh. And it's going to be good because God's good. He's a good, good father. So keep persisting. Don't give up. And I do believe there's something in the persistence and persevering of faith in prayer that allows miracles ultimately to occur. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in the first in a series of discussions about the birth of our Lord Jesus. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. 
With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the Mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us. Hello, Jen. It's great to be with you as well. Well, the Christmas season is here, and today we begin a series of discussions about Advent and the birth of Jesus. Yeah, the word Advent means beginning, and biblically, you have two Advents in regards to Jesus. The first Advent was his coming from heaven to this earth in a stable in Bethlehem almost 2,000 years ago. The second advent is yet to come. That is his second coming into this world to right all wrongs and restore original intent, God's created order, the Garden of Eden to what God wanted it to be. But at this time of year, we celebrate the first advent, the first coming, Jesus coming to us in a manger. And the word that I wanted to use today to emphasize this advent season, and we'll do this over the next several days, is the word waiting. Now, what you have between Malachi and Matthew is 400 years of waiting. It's commonly called biblically the intertestamental time period. You have Malachi prophesying that suddenly one day the messenger, the Lord, will come to his temple, and then you have the end of Malachi and then silence. Mm nothing prophetically spoken from God through any prophet to his people. And then suddenly you have the Lord Jesus coming into the world in the gospel of Matthew, but also Mark, Luke, and John as well. You do have the Lord God embodied in human flesh in this baby in the Bethlehem stable. The Lord coming suddenly to his temple to save his people from our sins. The name Jesus, interestingly, means Savior. And that's intentional because our greatest need is to be saved from our sins. It's really a rescue mission that God involved himself in to come save us from the depravity of our sin, but also the destination of our souls to hell. It is one of the best rescue missions ever (laughs) told. And so we need to recognize the beauty of what happened in that stable in Bethlehem. But I really think before then, we need to recognize those 400 years of waiting. A hymn that's often sung in churches during this time of year is, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. It is a haunting hymn that expresses the waiting that people are undergoing as they wait to hear a word from the Lord. And God not only speaks that word, he becomes that word in Jesus. So today, let's emphasize that all of us have times of waiting. Mm -hmm. We need to acknowledge that as well. But those times of waiting can be some of God's most significant moments of making us who he wants us to be, of molding us into the image of Jesus. You know, Jen, I've often used this illustration that there is the 
waiting room of faith. There's also the wait room of faith mm-hmm. as well. And what does that mean? The waiting room of faith while you're waiting is also God's W-E-I-G-H-T room yeah. where we force ourselves to be in resistance against that waiting time when we want to see God work and he's just not coming through for us yet during those times of waiting. Mm-hmm. That wait training, W-E-I-G-H-T, is forcing our spiritual muscles to become stronger like never before. This is so good and so encouraging for us in this season. Thank you so much, David. Well, I hope all of these words help you folks wait well this Christmas season and beyond. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for those who might be lonely this season.